Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is the uh, shell-shocked or the hurricane-shocked Dr. Simon doing his show tonight uh, on climate change and evolution and politics. Um, I have just lived through my first hurricane. And uh, initially, we thought we were going to be hit with a Category 4 or 5 hurricane. And that, if that had happened, a direct hit of 5, with winds of 160, 170, uh, uh, this monster at one point uh, had over 200-mile-an-hour gusts while it was still out in the Caribbean. Uh, I wouldn't be talking to you today. There'd be nothing here. Uh, nothing could stand or withstand the power of that kind of wind. But at the last minute, uh, to our luck, we dodged a bullet, or everybody keeps saying we dodged a bullet. I'd rather say we dodged a cannonball. We dodged something very big and very ugly. Uh, it moved west and further, further west, and the real damage even though it had been degraded to a low four, a low category four, uh, you have to see, if you see the pictures of what's happened at the Keys, uh, there's virtually not a building that has not been seriously damaged. Um, businesses, all the businesses in the Keys, in Key West and some of the other islands are completely destroyed. And many of them will never be brought back. The course of reconstructing an entire civilization is enormous. Uh, Many people, uh, when I watch them being interviewed, are so traumatized and so upset, they don't want to bring back their businesses. They will leave, and this will be a much poorer place. But as it went up the West Coast, uh, it hit much more hardened structures, and it dropped to a three. And even then, um, the damage was enormous. There are still uh, half a million or so people who don't have power uh, a week later. We were very lucky. Um, We never really had more than Hurricane 1 winds here, 74, 75 miles an hour, with some gusts that went up to 80, 85 miles an hour. We lost power for a couple of hours on one night and then a couple of hours on another night, although I'm pretty sure that the loss of those powers was done by uh, Florida Florida Power and Light so that they could uh, put other areas, other grids back online uh, and not be overpowered and have the whole thing shut down again. But anyway, um, we're back up and we're normal. Uh, Some trees are damaged. I played golf today. And the golf courses had to be closed for a full week while they cut down these massive trees that had fallen down uh, on the greens, on the fairways. And it's interesting if I watch them, and (laughs) I don't want to talk too much about this, but it was so interesting to me today. Um, Most of the big trees that went down have very shallow roots. And many of them are older trees, so that there's some amount of rotting and weakening in the root system and in the bottom of the the base of the trees. And they just went over, 
just flat down. Uh, But we're sort of back to normal now. Uh, Not psychologically, but back to normal. And I am now in awe of uh, nature uh, and the power of these storms. And what is terrifying is that these are not any longer normal storms. Irma was the largest hurricane ever recorded. It was larger than the state of Florida. As it went up the west coast of Florida, it covered the east coast. In fact, many of the worst winds and most flooding was on the east coast, which is nearly 200 miles away from where the eye came on. Um, Another uh, storm is out there now, Maria, which looks like it will miss us, but possibly hit Cape Hatteras or go into uh, uh, Virginia or North Carolina, South Carolina, and do tremendous damage there. Uh, The weather people keep marveling at how we could have so many Category 4 and 5 storms. Every once in a while, there would be a Category 5 storm. The last Category 5 that went through Homestead and Miami and did a tremendous amount of damage, I keep forgetting names, I keep forgetting all names, um, was Category 5, but was much smaller, so that uh, 50, 60 miles out from the, from the eye, you had a wind, but that's all you had. This was a monster, and now we have another monster. And we've had uh, Harvey that has uh, flooded and washed over um, Texas. And uh, I have friends who just came back from a uh, tour of the national parks, and they were in Montana, but you can't see anything in Montana because Montana is on fire. Super fires the last few years, not just forest fires, but enormous dangerous fires uh, because it's so dry. Parts of the world are becoming desert. Parts are underwater. And this is unprecedented. Uh, Yesterday, a friend and a colleague of mine made a presentation on climate change. There is nothing to debate anymore, boys and girls. The facts are in. The more carbon we pump into the air, the more carbon dioxide goes into the oxygen, into the atmosphere, and the warmer the planet becomes. Sea levels are rising. And if we should reach a point, which is happening faster than anybody thought, of getting to the point at which um, we reach six degrees Celsius, Uh, above a normal temperature, sea levels could rise up to 200 feet and there will be nothing left for us to have on this planet. We'll all have to go live in Denver and hope that you can grow enough food in the plateaus around Denver to keep whoever is alive alive. It's happening. It's not going to happen. It's happened. And I won't go through the exquisite detail and the science and the integrity of the science that has shown this particular uh, calamity that is befalling us. But I am convinced 
and more and more of us are convinced that the greatest uh, threat, the greatest threat to civilization, the greatest threat to our survival uh, is the climate change that is almost wholly induced by the burning of carbon fuels, by methane and carbon dioxide. So I don't debate that anymore. I don't debate that anymore, any more than I would debate whether the earth was flat. It's a pointless debate. The question is, what do we do about it? We have a government that is dismantling science. Uh, here in Florida, we have uh, G Governor Scott. And by the way, um, I watched Scott perform uh, during this hurricane and the rise right up to the hurricane. And he really was an effective leader. Uh, he was heartfelt. He was genuinely concerned. Uh, he got the oil back, uh, uh, the gas tanks back to fill up our, our uh, tanks, uh, our gas stations, because when people started to panic, there was no gas after one or two days before the storm. Food shelves were empty. Uh, it was like <laughs> something horrible had happened because people were stocking up. You couldn't get gas for days. But he handled it like a real leader. But he himself now forbids any state worker to use the words global warming or climate change. So that the greatest danger, the greatest existential threat to all of us, and in this case, I'll keep it within our country, is upon us. These storms, the fires, the, the, the droughts are going to get worse and worse unless we, we, with the rest of the world, reduce as much as possible and as fast as possible the burning of carbon. Now, I'll give you the, the happy side of this. I'll do my happy dance because much of the technology uh, for renewable energies and for uh, very fine automobiles that will uh, operate on battery power and use electricity whose carbon footprint ultimately may be zero. And I'll talk about that in a little bit later in the show. It's there, and it's developing, and it will develop. But it really requires a, a partnership with government to change the direction we are going, particularly in the United States, to become part of the Paris Accord and to become part of the negotiating that will be all over the world. Uh, I was watching on television now this horrendous monsoon season in Bangladesh, in India, uh, and Pakistan, in which uh, people are drowning, where there's no food. Civilization crumbles under these circumstances. So, how do we change the political climate? That's what I want to talk about. Now, for those of you who follow my show, you know that I have asked over and over again, how did Trump get elected? And how does he keep a large number of people, not a majority of Americans, but a large number of what he calls his base, 
so glued to him, so loyal to him. And I've thought about this and thought about this. And it dawned on me, I was not thinking in the right evolutionary terms. So let me talk a little bit about the tribalization of humanity, the evolution of human beings as tribal animals. Human beings learned very early, and not consciously. This is not a conscious learning like you sit in school and you learn your ABCs or your math tables. That you cannot survive without a lot of people helping you survive. <laughs> Children cannot be raised unless there's support to families. A tr group of people cannot ward off people who would like to take their land and their water, who threatened them, unless they have enough people to effectively fight back against those who are the threat. So we are tribal. We are genetically programmed to be tribal. What Trump did was tap into, and I don't mean he did this consciously. I don't think he thinks this way. Uh, he's too contemptuous of science to know any science. But what he did was tap into the tribal needs of large group of people, many in the Rust Belt, many people who have lost hope and faith that they could ever get their lives back with decent jobs, that men can be men and women can be women. Um, and he tapped into that. And let me now talk a little bit about the structure of a tribe and the function of the tribe. Well, I've stated the function. The function is to keep us alive, to keep the people who have bound themselves together. And there has to be a structure in which there's leadership. The function of the leader is to note where the threats are and to organize the tribe such that they either move to another place or they stand and fight, take flight or do fight in order to continue functioning as a people. What Trump did as the leader of this group of people who stood behind him and now stand behind him was point out what he believed the threat was. Crazy rap uh, rapists and drug dealers from Mexico. Muslims who in one way or another are all terrorists. When you have people who are desperate, not particularly well-educated, they will easily respond to a powerful leader and he, remember, is a very powerful leader. One of the shows I did recently is that he was not only a leader in business, a successful businessman, but he was a television star. And the, the ability of being a celebrity in our culture now makes you an authority that 50 years ago would have been hard to believe. 
Uh, Ronald Reagan, one of the reasons Ronald Reagan became president is that he was a movie star. And I believe that more and more people who are going to come into politics and take up leadership roles will be people who are actors, actresses, people who have high visibility in the media. So he was seen as a very powerful man, a celebrity, successful, and once people bind themselves to the leader, that bond is a very powerful bond. It is not easily broken. Leaders are given prerogatives, particularly when it's an authoritarian system in which the leader is seen and the genetic development of us as uh, people who are, are as, as animals who are bound into tribes is to give to the king, is to give to the leader prerogatives we would never take for ourselves and hope, and only hope, that the leader's judgment and the leader's decisions are for us as well as for him or herself. Leaders can do, kings can do, royalty can do, what the rest of us cannot do. And so Trump said, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and the people who follow me, I won't, not, won't lose a, a vote. And I believe that's so. I don't know what he'll have to do to lose that group, but this is an elemental bonding, like the, between a parent and a child. It's evolutionary. It's built into our genes. I don't know if this theory makes sense to anybody, but it really is, is making sense to me. You have a hierarchy then of those who surround and support the leader and hopefully are wise enough in many cases to uh, try and correct or ameliorate or give information to the leader that won't lead to decisions that make things worse and are a disaster. Right? You have a military. You have to have warriors. And historically, there have always been warriors in any successful grouping, large or small, that survives. You have to have a cleric. You have to have a religious group that defines the right and wrong of the behavior of the members within the group given their place in the hierarchy and given the decisions and the power that they wield towards the top of the hierarchy uh, of the authoritarian uh, tribe uh, as compared to the bottom. Loyalty is incredibly important. I could go on for hours talking about the psychology of those lower on the hierarchy in the tribe and those higher up. And so often the people who surround the king were obsequious because he could order their death. If he himself had the kind of, of uh, weak ego, the kind of narcissistic need that didn't permit him to take criticism. Uh, in the kings of England, the kings of Europe, there was somebody in the 
uh, hierarchy known as the fool. And the fool could make fun of the king. He was the only one. And he could say to the king, remember, king, you shit like the rest of us. You're still human. Um, in the hope, this evolved system, that would put some checks and some balances on the king. America flirted with and successfully made a democracy, created a middle class so that the distance between those at the top and those at the bottom was narrowed. And those at the top, our leaders, were appointed by the people. That may be over for us. I hope not, but it may be. And I've spoken about that many times. So the function of this leadership is to define the problems and to issue orders that will be justified morally to uh, satisfy this, to satisfy the problem so that there's no longer any threat to the tribe. America has become tribalized. Republicans and Democrats now forbid their children in many cases to marry someone across party lines, just as clans and tribes will forbid somebody to marry outside of the tribal organization because that could lead to corruption and disorganization within the tribe. Okay. Now, where am I going with this? I'm going to try and speak to my congressman. I'm going to try to reach Congress, a Senator Nelson here in Florida, have him listen to this or give me some time if I can get some people to come with me and describe what I think happened with Trump and tell him, tell them that we cannot have another election like the last one where the Democrats play according to a playbook of identity politics, that their function is to protect blacks, to protect women, to protect this group's rights and that group's rights. Because when people are feeling existential threat, they don't care about that. Each then becomes, each of these identity groups becomes a tribe of its own, hierarchically organized, and not even particularly uh, uh, beholden to the person who's running for president. Many of the people who voted for Obama didn't come out to vote for Hillary. Many blacks didn't vote. In fact, if all the black people in this country who voted for Obama voted for her, she would be president. And don't call me and argue she's just as bad because... At least she was competent. Next, as we talk about this, we have to now get people to understand the existential threat that's facing us, our children, and our grandchildren. 
we have to mobilize a very large tribe. The facts are in. We don't debate them anymore. But since only about 4 or 5% of Americans understand science at all, and now with science itself under direct threat and attack by the government of the United States, we have to do it differently. No identity politics. Everybody has to be brought in to the army that's going to change the direction of the carbon that's being pumped out into our atmosphere in ever amount, larger amounts so that we can change the technology as has Germany so that there's no carbon. It's sun, it's wind, it's water, if necessary, nuclear, but non polluting to the atmosphere so that we don't raise the temperature any much more than it's already gone up. And the technology is there. So who's going to be in this army? And this is what I kept thinking. I'm going to give you a, a side story to this. In October, I got a phone call from my wife, come home from the... the um, golf course, and there's a lot of water in the house. Apparently, we had a pressure hose at the back of our dishwasher that had rusted and now cracked and was leaking water, but had been leaking it for a long period of time. And we didn't see it or call the plumber until we found mold around the, uh, um, the uh, dishwasher. We plumber called in a mold remediation person who showed me that all my walls were soaked from the front of the house to the back. These walls had to be cut. The house had to be, go through a demolding procedure. And then the walls had to be reconstructed and my kitchen had to be torn out and replaced by another kitchen. And I won't go through the cost and the fight with the insurance company. But what happened was I finally, uh, through the, uh, the, uh, uh, an individual I hired to represent me to the insurance company, um, I got a contractor. He and I became very friendly, very fast. I had nothing but respect for him. And he took over the four-month process of restoring my home to the point it is now, which if something happened to it again through a storm, I don't know what I would do or where I would go or how I would handle it. Because if it took four months for me with my own contractor to do the necessary work to restore my house, what would be if a 10,000, 100,000 houses had to be repaired? A million houses. It would take years and years and years. And I could tell you, I don't have years and years and years. Point of this was, I stayed home a lot, and I became very friendly with the plumbers, the electricians, the carpenters, the tile people, 
who came in here day after day and did their work. And I really like these people. I was in a separate tribe. College professors, college-educated people don't really brush up and have long conversations and become very friendly with people who work with their hands. But I've always had a feeling of admiration for people who work with their hands. I may have told the story before. I'll tell it again. I used to paint. When I lived up north, I would paint my house. And I hated painting. I did a horrible job. And I would paint it. If I want to paint the frame of a window, I would cover the window with tape so that I wouldn't get paint on it. And I still got paint on it. And one day I'm watching a guy we brought in to paint, and he doesn't tape. He just brings the brush down, and the paint is there, smooth, without a drop of it on the windowsill or anyplace else. And I said to him, how do you do that? And he looked at me strangely like, you mean you admire what I do? I admire what you do. No, no. Why do you do that? He says, because your mind is not anywhere related to the brush and the paint. I'm there. The brush is an extension of me. And there's nothing in my mind when I paint. And I like to do what I do. Wow. All these guys who came in here were like that. Not very educated academically. Uh, I had a conversation with many of them who were voting for Trump who saw him as the businessman who could make uh, the life that they had, which is often tenuous in terms of getting work for long periods of time. But they didn't know. I, I had a conversation. You're going to vote for Trump? What about Steve Bannon? And this fellow who looked at me, an electrician, who was terrific. Who's Steve Bannon? He didn't read the news. He didn't follow uh, papers. He didn't read editorials. He was very unsophisticated when it came to the larger understanding of the politics. But this was a good guy, a really good guy with a really good skill. And so our army has to be, has to be made up of engineers who are going to bring the new technology to life, and the artisans who are going to do two things, build the windmills and service the windmills, build the, 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 uh, put in the solar panels and connect them to the electrical systems, uh, do the changeover, and at the same time, an army that will repair the homes and the buildings that we now live in so that they can be lived in as quickly as possible. And this army has to be, in many cases, trained and expanded. And how do we do this? Clearly, we're going to have to put money into education, and not just academic education. Uh, when I went to college, 1958 to 1962, only 14% of the general population went to college. Everybody else worked. They made cars. They painted. They were plumbers. They did all kinds of stuff. They sold. 
They dealt with people on many, many different levels. I don't think we need 100% college educated, unless we do what we do in it, what they do in Italy. Everybody gets an academic education, and everybody else learns a skill to do with their hands. So we need this army, and we need a leadership who's not going to argue and tell people about how science is valid and the future is coming, which may or may not be devastating to us. And we have to use the same means that Trump did, visual images on the media. We have to show the agony that now exists not only all over the world, but especially in America. The picture of people that, that I can't get out of my mind, walking in a long line with water up to their waist in, in Houston, pushing little boats with their babies, their possessions, their pets, trying to find a dry place where they could stay and a hot meal that they could eat and feed themselves and their families. Or the fires that are out of control, the homes that burn, or the pictures of the whole villages in Alaska that are sinking to the ground because the permafrost upon which they're built is melting. It has to be done with visual imagery for real people. And the army has to be led by a leader who understands the existential threat that we're under in a way that is similar to what Roosevelt did when he and Churchill, but Roosevelt here, saved our country by mobilizing the entire country into a single tribe to fight World War II and support our army to defeat Nazism and the crazy uh, Japanese whose emperor they believe to be a god. I think that's the task. Are we going to do this? I don't know. I'm going to keep broadcasting. Um, tell your friends to listen to this. If anybody would like to call in, I think I'm about finished. Um, this week I have been drinking wine almost every night. I don't drink too much, just enough to quiet my anxiety. Tonight I didn't drink any wine because I can't do a show and be, uh, uh, be too relaxed like a good glass or two of wine. So I bought myself some ice cream, which I need like a hole in the head or a, or a stuffing in the stomach. Uh, but I'm going to do that and watch some television before I get my ice cream and put on a nice movie, something that would cheer me up. If anybody is listening and you want to call, you want to comment, I'd love that. Uh, for those of you who sent me uh, messages and hoped I was safe, I so appreciate that. Um, So I'm going to sit for another minute because I know people are listening. Okay, so to summarize, 
We need to follow the Trump playbook, but consciously, and organize our tribe to survive the greatest threat that it now faces, which is climate change, which is not going to happen. It is happening, and it's happening all over America, and it's time we look at the suffering of our fellow citizens and all get to work creating an army that will create and foster the industry. A uh, quick cartoon I saw, I loved it. A woman is, uh, has a closeout on the line, and she's saying to another woman, we use the latest technology of solar and wind to dry our clothes. <laughs> I thought that was wonderful, because there's the sun that's been burning for 5 billion years, and we'll be burning long after all of us are gone. Um, and there's the wind that is always blowing. And uh, the technology is there uh, to, to reduce our carbon footprint, uh, if not to zero, to a very small amount, to slow the increase in the warming and the heating of this planet that is creating the rise in sea levels the desertification, the, the big fires, and these terrible, terrible storms from which nobody is really safe. Okay, folks, it's been a pleasure. Um, take care of yourselves, and I'm going to end my episode, and I'll let it go another minute to see maybe somebody would like to call in. Okay.